comes from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together as we turn to reflect on God's word. Lord, whether we have memorized these Ten Commandments or not, we have all heard them. They are familiar words. We've known them since childhood. Lord, this morning we we pray that you would revive your word to us that we would see it through our adult eyes, that we would understand it in our adult lives, and that it would give us life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
There aren't many people who haven't heard of the Ten Commandments. In our Western civilization, these Ten Laws have been seen for a long time as as the basic rule for good living everywhere. And indeed, even non-Western civilizations hold to most, if not all, of these rules of behavior that we have outlined for us, at least in the last six commandments here. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. And you shall not covet. These laws are not unique to the Abrahamic religions, to Judaism and Christianity and Islam. Although this book that we have is the book of those three religions to some extent. Buddhists and Hindus and followers of primal religions all have similar codes of conduct. None of those religions are I don't believe there's any civilization in the world that advocates stealing or murder or adultery. Indeed, even atheists would say that these are the codes that they would aspire to live by as well. The commandments, at at least the last six of these commandments, are, are not unique to us. Nor are they necessarily original with God's transmission of them to Moses there on Mount Sinai in our passage this morning. Not only do we find these commandments all over the world, but we find the last six commandments in older law codes of the ancient Near East in Mesopotamia and in Sumeria. The Ten Commandments The other laws of the Old Testament and the codes of Egypt, Sumeria, and Babylon all seem to be based on a common oral tradition that goes back way before Moses to a time in prehistory. But that's not to say, as some skeptics contend, that what is written here in Exodus is untrue. It's not untrue that God did speak these words to Moses. And on the contrary, I think the fact that these codes of behavior are almost universal shows us that these precepts are most certainly divine in origin. They most certainly come from God. They come from a creator God. Because it would stand to reason human beings made In God's image and being part of God's creation would be able to conclude that these precepts are the way that we can live well in the world. That is just logical in a world made by God. And it's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to try. There we go. I can control the screen myself. Thank you guys up there. (laughs) Paul says what may be known about and required by God in terms of behavior has been common knowledge to all humanity since the creation of the world 
So everyone, it seems, has similar laws. These Ten Commandments, or at least the last six, seem to be universal. They were even around before Moses encountered God on Mount Sinai. So what is so unique about what we have here in the Bible? What is our unique Christian perspective on it? In content, these laws don't seem to be so unique. What is unique, however, is their place in our understanding of the whole story of God. So if we want to understand what is being said through the laws of God here to us as Christian people, we need to understand the context in which these laws are given. Indeed, context is always vital for understanding anything. Lots of people take what the Bible says and the Ten Commandments in particular out of context. And as a consequence, they misunderstand what God is like and what he desires from them. And they become judgmental of others who don't meet the standards that they think that they are meeting themselves. Context is everything. We're not going to explore the content of the Ten Commandments this morning. That would warrant a whole series in and of itself. It would take, I think, at least ten weeks. But someday, I hope we can come back and systematically look at every single one of these verses. But this morning, I think it would be fruitful for us to look at the context of these Ten Commandments. As far as the story of Genesis and Exodus that we have so far in the Bible, these words given here in Exodus 20 and all the laws following in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy are given after. They're given after the fact that God has chosen this people to be his peculiar people. That's an important bit of the context. These laws are given after. They're given after God promises what he promises to Abraham. And they're given after God has liberated this generation of Abraham's descendants from Egypt. As we learned last week, the purpose of God's choosing the children of Israel and giving them his words and his laws was to bless them. It was not so that they could earn favor with God. These laws weren't given as a standard for which they had to strive to meet in order to be acceptable. These people are already God's people. He's already brought them out of Egypt. He's already saved them. And he adds these laws as a blessing to them. And as we said last week, God's purpose in blessing this particular people was not just for their own benefit, but it was so that they could be a blessing to the rest of the world. God's purpose in giving them his laws 
was so that they would stand out as different. And that difference would not repel, but attract other people to God. God, whose presence in their lives made that difference that they have possible. That's a vital bit of context when we look at the Ten Commandments or any of the laws in the Bible. And that's the context of the calling of God's people in the Old Testament. But there's another bit of context that is also vitally important. You'll notice that the laws of the Old Testament, including the Ten Commandments, are not given in isolation. There's no one book of laws in the Bible. The Bible is not a law book. It is a story book. And the laws are given in the context of a story. And the story vis-a-vis the giving of the law has a very particular and important pattern that we see throughout the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There's a pattern to this story. And the, the pattern is this. The laws are given, and then immediately the people to whom the laws are given break those laws. And the pattern, again, they're given more laws, And they break those laws. And they're given more laws. And they break those laws. It goes throughout all these books of the Torah. More laws are given and the people break them. It's almost absurd when you see that picture in the story. But it's a recurring pattern. And it is very significant. As an example here in Exodus 20, God gives the Ten Commandments along with other laws to Moses and there on Mount Sinai. And almost immediately, while God is still speaking to Moses in chapter 32, the people of Israel down at the foot of the mountain make an image of a golden calf and they bow down and they worship it in direct contravention to those first two commandments that God has just given Moses. God gives them a law and they immediately break it. And this happens over and over again throughout the five books of Moses, right up until the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the last of the five books when in chapter 32, Moses in despair sings a song. And in his song, he summarizes the story up till then. And he declares the facts of the matter. That the people are unable to obey God's words. And they will suffer the consequences. They are unable to be faithful to God. And it's all just a little depressing for Moses and for anyone else reading this book. And I'm sure it was depressing for the Israelites listening to that song. But that is the reality that we see throughout the books, the five books of Moses. 
But it's a reality not just for ancient Israel. It's a reality for the whole human race. It's a reality for you and me. We know what is right and we don't do it. We know what is right and wrong. But we don't seem to be able to live by what we know. And the Bible's contention is that because of our sinful human nature, we are not able to obey God's laws. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount underscores this conclusion. Speaking of the sixth commandment, he says, you shall not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister also murders them or is subject to judgment. And then he goes on to speak of the seventh commandment. And he says, you have heard it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There, Jesus speaking as God tells us that obeying the commandments is a matter of the heart. It's not just about knowledge or mere outward behavior, but it's about inward character. And what he's underscoring here is that none of us is able to fulfill the law's demands. None of us is able to fulfill the law with hearts that are pure and characters that are beyond reproach. No one is able. Indeed, the Apostle Paul says that the purpose of the law was not to make us pure. It was not a standard that we needed to strive to obey completely in order to be acceptable to God because it is not possible. Paul says that the purpose of the law is to help people understand that they are sinful and that they need help. That we are sinful and that we need help. We cannot fulfill the law's demands on our own. We need help. And that is the gospel. That is the good news. Because you see, brothers and sisters, there is help on its way. That help comes most certainly and exclusively in what God does for us and for the whole human race by sending Jesus Christ as our helper, as our savior so that whoever believes in him will be saved. Not by doing what the law requires, but by trusting in a savior. That is the gospel. Now from a young age being raised in good churches, I believed the gospel. I understood that salvation was by grace alone and that it was received by faith alone. Oh, well and good, that is the truth. 
But because of that emphasis, I wasn't interested in the Old Testament. I never memorized those Ten Commandments. Maybe that's a comment on how not so good the nurture from my church community was. Or or maybe it was just my personal misunderstanding of what goes on in Scripture. For whatever reason, the Ten Commandments in my early Christian life had very little significance. In my mind, they only highlighted for me a failed system of religion that we have in the Old Testament. And I thought that we should get away from law and only live by the Spirit. Maybe it's an excuse, but I I think you can find justification for that misreading in some of the New Testament documents, especially in the writings of Paul, where he pits law against spirit. But that's to misunderstand Paul. And I think I've come to understand what scripture is getting at. And I've come to realize that although it's true that the laws show us how incapable we are of saving ourselves, that doesn't mean that once Christ has saved us, that God's laws don't have yet another purpose. And that purpose is very, very important. These laws have a very important purpose in the life of a Christian. These laws of God that we find in the Old Testament help us to understand what pleases God and to therefore shape the way we live as Christian people, depending on grace, yes, but being obedient to the God who guides us through his word. Of course, many of the laws in the Old Testament have to do with the very specific situation to which the people of Israel lived at the time in which they lived. And there are many of the laws in the Old Testament that don't apply to us. Some of those laws can't and indeed shouldn't directly shape our lives but they can shape them indirectly they can't shape them directly though for instance my neighbor here in bigger has neither an ox nor a donkey my neighbor neither has a manservant or a maidservant for that matter so it doesn't help me to be told in that commandment to not covet those things Nonetheless, the commandment not to covet can help me. It can help me examine my heart about how I look at others and what they have and I don't have. But all within the understanding that I am saved by grace and the law helps me to follow God through this life just to finish our exploration on the commandments and the context in which they are set I read something that I I found really helpful this last week as I was preparing for this morning 
And it all has to do with that word shall. (laughs) Thou shall not. Which is a future tense, isn't it? It's about something that's going to happen in the future. Although the Ten Commandments do prescribe behavior, and we should do our best to live by them now, from a gospel perspective, we will never in this life perfectly live up to what the Ten Commandments and the rest of God's laws prescribe. There is, however, life in a place where the commandments shall be fulfilled. There is a place where we shall have no idols. There is a place where no one shall worship and bow down to anything that is not God. There is a place where there shall be no misuse of God's name, whether through words or actions. There is a place where the Sabbath rest shall be fully realized, where people are not murdered, where parents are honored, where husbands and wives are perfectly faithful, where there shall be no theft, where people shall be perfectly honest, and where no one will covet another's status or goods. That place, that place that shall be, of course, is the kingdom of God. And that is the place where you and I who trust in Jesus belong. And so for now, as we live out this life, we invest our lives living by God's commandments as as much as we can in a future hope that through the work of Christ in our hearts and in our world, that that kingdom shall come. God's will, as expressed in these commandments, shall be done, not just in heaven, but on earth. May God make it so in our lives, in this life, and in the next. And may he bless to us this reflection on his word this morning.